Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. My name's Andy Bell. It's wet, it's windy, it's miserable. Life isn't really much crack at the moment. Uh, so we're coming to you with a bit of a filler podcast, chatting all things Northern Ireland, like we always do. Uh, so coming up on the show, we've got the, the transfers. We're going to talk a bit about the January transfer window, the Northern Irish players who have moved. Uh, we've got an interview about Ethan Galbraith with an academy expert from Manchester United. And we're just going to have a bit of a general chat. As I say, we're going to chat Galbraith ourselves. We're going to talk Paddy McNair's position, which has been the subject of a lot of debate recently. We're going to do the World Cup qualifiers and... Uh, We'll even throw a quiz into the mix as well, where you can play along and compete against our two guests today, who I will now introduce. Uh, first of all, we have got Dave Dunning in Belfast. Dave, how's things? Yes, good, thanks. Good. I'm having a lovely time. I'm watching um, watching Jose get a lesson from some young, bald German fella, which is pretty <laughs> funny. So, yeah, that, that's, that makes my night a good one. Yeah, I think we're all kind of in agreement there. Uh, and we've also got Peter Baker in Sheffield via Belfast. Pete, how's things for you? Are you enjoying Jose getting humiliated to a similar extent? Oh, it's always nice to see Jose uh, getting his comeuppance. But yeah, thanks for having me on, Andy. Nice to be here, just hanging on in, as I'm sure everyone else is. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, well, now that we've got rid of all the Spurs and Chelsea fans from the podcast, uh, we can crack on. <laughs> we can talk about Northern Irish transfers. Um, so we're going to start with, uh, who will we start with? We'll start with Jordan Jones, who has joined Sunderland on a six-month loan until the end of the season uh, from Rangers. Uh, he's made five appearances this season, three off the bench, scoring one goal away to Motherwell. Um, so I think we all really know the the career trajectory that Jordan Jones has had in Rangers. He, he came in two years ago, did fairly well, uh, did well in the Europa League qualifiers and seemed to establish himself in the team. Made a stupid tackle against Celtic to try and impress the supporters, got himself sent off. Didn't really get back into Stephen Gerrard's plans for about a year after that. Uh, and the minute he did, uh, he went and, and broke COVID regulations. Um, and Dave, we've, we've kind of... We've, we talked about this on the last podcast, really. Um, we had a chat about Jordan Jones in general. Um, is is he somebody we overrate? Um, we're, we're, we're looking at him, and I feel because we're so deprived of that mercurial quality at Northern Ireland, we see Jordan Jones, his ability to take on players, his ability to, to whip the ball into the box and make things happen. Um, and we think he kind of has to be uh, in the squad and around the team all the time. Um, but his highest goal scoring season is four. Uh, in his career, that's that's the, that's the most goals he scored in a single season. Um, end product's a, a thing we always kind of say. It's it's thrown about a little bit too much about players, in my opinion. It's like uh, it's not it's the hardest thing in football, really. That final ball or that that finish. So you know, if, if players have end product, they generally cost about sixty million. Um, but do you think this is a good move for him to get down to League One, get his confidence up, and uh, and maybe either come back to Rangers and and do well, or or move on because he's still only twenty six. Yeah, I think this is probably a theme that will recur throughout this podcast, certainly for me. And um, it's it's players playing football, and we need as many players that are in that squad playing regular regular first team football. And at this point, it actually doesn't really matter what level it's at. Do we overrate him? I think absolutely. You know, I don't think he's played twenty games for Rangers. You know, that that to me says it all. And whether that be attitude or ability. Um, they're both issues which need to be considered when you're when you're bringing somebody into a squad, um, because you know O'Neill's worked O'Neill worked really really hard to create a club environment, if you like, and that was 
part of what contributed to our success. And you don't want someone coming in there, regardless of how good they are, disrupting that. And if they're realistically, in my opinion, like the archetypal YouTube footballer with little tricks and flicks here and, you know, beating a man here and there and doing his little drag backs and bits and pieces. And he is a player that will get fans off their seats. He's that, he's a direct wide player who, you know, likes to shoot, likes to try and take his full back on. And everybody likes that. But as you say, bottom line is, I think there's an issue with end product. There's an issue with attitude. And ultimately, looking at where his career trajectory has gone, there's probably an issue with quality there as well. But realistically, you know, he spent, what, the last two years not really playing football for one reason or another. And, you know, that's what, 23, 24 to, to 26. Those are the years when you should really be starting to carve out a career for yourself. Um, he's got an opportunity at Sunderland now who are going well. Um, they're pushing for promotion and they'll hope to be in, they'll hope to be in the championship next year. So... All the better if he's starting week in, week out in a successful side. That's another positive. So pros and cons, but ultimately, you know, if he doesn't play football down there, um, I'm not going to be surprised. And if he's not in the next few squads, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be that disappointed either. Yeah, Pete. Unfortunately, I can't really disagree with any of that. As much as Jordan Jones is a player who has excited me over the years, as much as he's, he's somebody who I think you know, as Dave says, does get fans off their seats and. Because you're, as I say, deprived of that at Northern Ireland, um, you, your instinct is to want somebody like that in the squad and just to feel something almost, you know what I mean? Um, but it's it's uh, it's one of those where, yeah, Dave's right. We are gonna we are gonna be talking about that. Pretty much every player we're talking about here, um, well, pretty much every tramp, every Northern Irish transfer is about getting minutes because that's what we're deprived of in the squad. That's what you know. You look every week and you see players on the bench or not getting games or injured, and, and match fitness is a massive thing at, at international level. Of course, it is compared to top quality players who are playing week in week out. I'd say he, ability wise, he probably is around championship level. Um, so he needs to get his confidence up here. Uh, he needs to go and he needs to score some goals. And, you know, Sunderland's a massive club. I, I know they're, the fans aren't in at the minute and probably won't be to the full extent until at least next season. So he may not get to experience that. But it's still a massive club. There's still high expectations. You're still, you know, you play a game and, and you've got a thousand tweets after it on social media, people giving their opinion on you, uh, no matter what the level is. So uh, how do you see this move going for him? And, uh, and, and, and how do you view his kind of international future as well? Because... It's down to him at this point, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd very much reiterate what you guys have said. I think the key thing is for him, this opportunity to move down to Sunderland provides him that opportunity to sort of restart his career. He was exiled the Rangers. You know, Dave said he played, I don't know, fewer than 20 games. This is a chance to play in a decent league one side who are pushing for promotion. Uh, and he could be the difference for Sunderland whether they get automatic or whether they make the playoffs and go up via the playoffs. And I just hope, you know, from a Northern Ireland perspective that he's reflected on the mistakes that he's made at uh, previous times during his career and he get his head done, just get a run of games together at Sunderland because that can only be of benefit to the national team. I mean, I'd, I'm, I'm still reasonably optimistic. I think, you know, he, maybe I'm, bit uh, 
deluded here, but I, to, for me, he provides a glimmer of hope. He is somebody who, you know, can maybe frighten defenders. It's something we just don't have in the Northern Ireland team at the minute. I'm, I'm just clinging on. I hope uh, for our sake as much as his that he can get his career back on track. Um, could potentially be a difference uh, for no- a Northern Ireland squad if he's included in the future, but that is only if he gets his head down uh, and uh, makes the most of his career. I mean, we hear it so much from retired professional footballers that professional careers are short. You've got to make the most of it. And I hope for his sake he, he realises that sooner rather than later and gets back on track. Um, and if he doesn't, I, would, I mean, you, you can't include him in the national team if there's nothing to base it off. So, yeah, pretty much the same as you guys. I hope he hope he uh, finds his form again, but you know I wouldn't be too surprised if it doesn't materialise. Yeah, there is that underlying worry that you're you're going to be talking about another Kyle Lafferty in in seven years' time, except maybe without the the impact he had for one and a half years for us, which qualified us for a major tournament, uh, and that would just be so disappointing. And uh, and part of the part of the, the the real debate over Jordan Jones is is the kind of winger situation at, at Northern Ireland, Dave. And uh, you know, Gavin White uh, is going to be the one we're going to come on to talk about next. But you look at the likes of Niall McGinn, who's been such a reliable wide player for us over the years. He's always produced numbers at club level. He's always scored important goals for Northern Ireland. Um, but he's getting a bit long in the tooth now. I think he's 33. He's not getting games at club level. Uh, Matty Kennedy has done well in the Scotland, but he's he's played more of a wing-back role. Uh, and then, you know, who else have you really got? You've Smith, who's, who's, who, who we are going to come on to talk about as well, but he hasn't made any sort of impact internationally. Joel Cooper's gone back to Linfield for the season and... You know, these guys are, if we are going to play kind of a 4-3-3 formation, and the only real alternative to that, I guess, is a 3-5-2, which we may come on to talk about later. Um, But Gavin White's somebody that we need as well. He's he's just turned 25 there last week, and uh, he's gone to to Hull on loan from Cardiff City. He's already scored for them, uh, but apparently he's injured for a month now, which is disappointing. Um, of course, it's it's the the lack of minutes with White as as well, you know. one hundred and seven minutes of football at Cardiff from February to January with no injury. Um, I think Neil Warnock came in and really liked him, and then they got a guy called Neil Harris who pretty much couldn't be bothered with him. He didn't make the squad most weeks, let alone the team. Uh, and he's been shipped out to Hull and Noon, where he, he joins Grant McCann. And uh, is it worrying for you, Dave? Um, first of all, give your opinion on 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 White to Hull. But is it worrying for you that we don't really have a lot of players playing Championship level or higher? Yeah, well, I think we've often talked about, on average, the Northern Ireland team being about League One level, and that's really starting to literally be borne out in where the majority of the half-decent players or regular fixers in the squad are now starting to kind of find themselves ending up. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're losing. We're losing big lads left, right and centre, um, and it has been like that since since Macaulay, Hughes, you know, boys who played at, like, elite-level football, Chris Brunt, um, Evans, God knows how much longer he'll last. Um, and, you know, that that is absolutely going to take its toll. Um, Davis, you know, was playing Premier League football, and, and he's up in Scotland now, and, and Gerard seems to, to really love him. But, again, his legs are only going to last so long, and he's not the player that he was even, even two or three years ago. So, yeah, it will, and... We're going to find it more difficult than 
than we have done in the past, and and it's basically because we just don't have don't have the same level of players that we did, you know, five ten years ago. So that's the reality. Um, on White, I like him. Um, I think he's. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that people don't see. And don't get me wrong, I haven't seen him play a lot, but you know, he seems unpredictable. He's quick. Um, he's not. He's not necessarily all style, no substance, which is kind of the way I view Jones. Um, I think there is a bit more end product to his game. Um, I think he finds himself in the box, um, getting on the ends of things as well. He, he can be not that goal scorer, but certainly find himself in positions where he, where he can stick the ball in the net. Um, his ratio for, for goals to games in Northern Ireland is probably the best that we have in the squad. <sighs> Dropping down yeah, to apart from Paul down. Smith, who's one goal in about fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. He's the he's the Francis Jeffers ratio, isn't he? Yeah, he's um, a David Nugent. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. Um, dropping down the hole. Yes, disappointing. You want you want the lads playing at as high level as they possibly can be. But realistically, as I said at the start, this will be a recurring theme as long as they're getting on the pitch and, and getting football um, and going into squads and into national teams and games match fit. Um, realistically, I don't think you can ask for much more than that at the minute. Um, playing there with McGuinness, I think is a good thing. I always, I can't tell you how much I valued when we had Macaulay, Evans and Brunt all playing at, um, at West Roman Champion. Yeah, under um, Tony Pulis as well, so they knew how to defend, you know what I mean? Yeah, and they also knew how to how to make the most of their abilities at the other end as well, with set pieces and corners and things like that. So that was massive. There was relationships built up there that you don't really get time to, um, time to build up at, at national level, no matter how much time you spend with each other, because you're, you're there for such a short spell of time in comparison to the, the length of time you spend with your club side. So if they can build up some sort of some sort of relationship, maybe a little, a little dovetail and tandem in there that seems to work well for for Hull and, and bring that over to the the squad whenever they, whenever they they're brought over for for the national teams games, then that would that would just be ideal. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that uh, and, and Pete Huller Huller top the league as well. So you're you're looking at a team there who could potentially go up this season. Um, if, if White's still out of favour at Cardiff, if he hasn't done enough on his loan to maybe convince Cardiff, then you'd be looking at Hull wanting to buy him if he's made an impact. And I say he's already making quite an impact in, in his performances so far. If you if you have a look under the you know the replies to Hull on Twitter, I know social media is no barometer for uh, any rational thinking football fan normally, uh, but the fact that they like him is, is positive. And uh, I, I like him as well. Uh, I think, you know, the only thing you can maybe say is when he doesn't have that pace to run in behind, or that space to run in behind, sorry, um, he can sometimes look a bit ineffectual, but that's the case with a lot of wingers. Even at like Premier League level, you see wingers who struggle when they, they can't use your, their pace and they have to um, use their ingenuity a bit more, use their brain a little bit more, and uh, and maybe make a smarter run or or have a bit more quality in the ball where you can like smash it in the top quarter twenty five yards. I don't know other things and kind of just getting the byline and whipping it in. Uh, but I think White White does have a bit of quality. We've seen him. He's played up front a couple of times for Northern Ireland. Uh, Michael O'Neill always talked about him and Boyce as being a partnership that we could see in the future. Um, I think that was towards the end of Michael's tenure. So whether that's something Ian Barraclough's going to look at, um, I'm not too sure. Um, but what, what's your take on Gavin White? Is he is he doing enough right now um, 
you know, say he has a good season at all, um, do you think that's enough for us to maybe play with wingers going into the World Cup qualifiers? Uh, and you're really hanging your hat on him in that, in that scenario, in, really, aren't you? Because, as we say, we can't rely on Jones, and the other ones aren't exactly uh, overly reliable options either. Uh, so what's your take on that whole situation? Uh, well, for me, if Gavin White's fully fit, I'd start him for Northern Ireland. I really like him. Um, and I think only over the past, well, the past uh, Nations League and uh, qualifiers, we started to see him in the national setup and got an idea by what he's about. And even then, he was sort of only playing a half because of substitutions and the rotations that were going on. But like you say, you know, he's he he's an alternative to what we have. You know, the likes of Boyce, Lafferty, McGuinness. You know, he's a bit more diminutive. He's quicker, uh, can make those runs in behind and be a bit of a nuisance. Um, you know, if, if we play with wingers, I'd start him. Even if we played a front two, I'd probably play him down the middle as well because I forget which game it was. Did he did he play with Boyce up top? Where they forced him? Uh, he played Boyce up top, that Czech Republic friendly, where we were like 3 0 up at half time. <laughs> Some ridiculous. Yeah. The game I remember and doing that sort of thing, I think, was away to the Republic in that friendly, where he could have scored a hat trick, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did play up front in that one as well. Yeah, so he's had a, he's had a couple of opportunities up top. Yeah, I I just think he provides something different that I I would play him. And you know, he's if he's going into the the whole setup, it's obviously a good environment. That feel it'll have a feel good factor, and that can be a good thing if he manages to force a partnership with McGuinness all the better, and the uh, McCann manager as well. So I'm sure he'll keep an eye on him in particular and try and assist him in terms of. Um, establishing himself in the national setup, I, I rate him really highly, um, just for that differential reason. I'd start him for us, regardless of yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's like um, if you're playing two up front, as we as we have done quite a bit, just to, to kind of give my two pence on it. And um, you know, you kind of do need either Washington or White there as one of the two. Uh, we saw, was it McGuinness and Boyce played up front against Romania in that dead rubber there in November, and it was just so like stodgy. It was just so, there was nothing really, nothing was even sticking, which is kind of what you have to both them up there for. Um, but also, you know, it's just so easy to defend against. You know, defenders can sit on the halfway line pretty much uh, and can say, you know, we're going to really squeeze this game. We're not going to let you out at all. And, and I think you do need somebody that thread in behind. And, you know, Connor Washington isn't, isn't really doing anything at club level. He's got seven goals in League One, but it's, uh, you know, we all know what Washington's like. He'll run for days. He'll, he'll give you a lot off the ball, but in reality, you know, he's not going to finish the chance. And, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of the idea that there are strikers out there who are great finishers who, who you don't get the chance because they're all around plays so bad overall. Uh, Will Grigg is one of those. But uh, with Connor Washington, it's like uh, you've kind of got you've kind of got Gavin White, who's a bit younger, uh, maybe a bit quicker, and, uh, and and can probably actually finish a chance a bit better if he uh, if he gets it. So uh, we're going to go on to talk about Daniel Ballard now. Actually, I did have Smith written down here, um, but I do want to get through Ballard and Lafferty as well. Um, so just with Paul Smith, he's gone to Accrington unknown. He's only twenty three. Um, 
hasn't really made a huge impact anywhere he's been. And he sort of signed for signed for QPR when he was 18, 19, and was thrown straight in, scored a great goal on his debut. And that probably has heightened the pressure on him a little bit, and he hasn't really been able to live up to that. Um, he was at Charlton earlier in the season. It starts eight, eight times on the bench, one goal. Um, but in reality, you know, we, we still haven't seen him play a competitive fixture for Northern Ireland, I don't think. Um, so how much analysis we can really do on Smith at this point, uh, I'm not sure. So I'm going to come on to talk about Ballard. I'm going to stick with you, Pete, in this one. I'm going to go to you first. Um, not really a transfer, but his loan has been extended until the end of the season at Blackpool from Arsenal. With Ballard, we, we've talked about him a lot in the podcast. I think we both like him as well. Um, the problem for me with Ballard is, you know, we, we know he's had that big injury uh, when he was 19 at Swindon. Um three games this season, then he was out for four, then he plays one, then he's out for three, then he plays five, then he's out for two. Uh, I think it's been a mix of injuries and I don't know if he tests positive for COVID, but he was certainly isolating um, from from a close contact or whatever it is at some point. So that's the main thing for Ballard, isn't it really? At this point, getting a run of games together and not just getting minutes, but getting a run of minutes as well and showing that his body is capable of playing professional football or uh, playing professional football twice a week as it pretty much is in league one because you've got 46 games yeah i mean i i read it really highly as well i'd probably say i mean he's the future of the northern Ireland defense uh when the likes of johnny evans move on we're we're probably going to pin a lot of hopes on him in the future um and he seems to be enjoying his time in in blackpool uh, and the coaches seem to like him i suppose it's just getting that run of games and trying to avoid injury which you can't always avoid um, but he, it's a good place to learn your trade league one. Uh, I'm sure it's a place where the, the darker arts are practiced a lot more regularly than in the Premier League. And uh, No VAR. Yeah, no, <laughs> no VAR, of course, yeah. But, I mean, centre-halves don't tend to burst onto the scene, contrary to what Michael Richards might, <laughs> might believe. They tend, you know, you gain experience, you learn to read the game, you learn how to deal with different opponents, whether they're quick, um, or whether they've got big guys who hold the ball up. And, I mean, for example, you look at Johnny Evans, who I mean, he was interviewed last week and he was asked if he's in the prime of his career at age 33. You know, Daniel Ballard, I think he's 21. So he's got years to develop and he's already playing at a decent level. So yeah, and, and 21 with having had a year out, you know, so his development's yeah, yeah, probably yeah. at least a year before that. So you kind of have to think of him as like a 19, 20-year-old, which is so exciting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the physicality in League One is going to be a lot higher than what he'd be getting at under-23 level at Arsenal. So, you know, after this season, he'll be coming back into the North Ireland setup with that under his belt. You know, he'll be physically ready as well, probably, after this year. So, I think it's only positive. I mean, it's a common theme in this podcast. It's just minutes, minutes, minutes. Get him playing as much football as possible because, you know, I mean, if we play a back five, he starts and uh, play a back four. I'd potentially put him in ahead of Cathcart, depending on how he's doing at Watford. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually do prefer Ballard to Cathcart as well. It might not be a popular opinion. Um, everyone who listens to this podcast kind of knows my take on Craig Cathcart. Um, Dave, it's a bit mad that there's so much hype over Ballard, given that he's only actually paid, played 15 senior games in his career, and four of those were for Northern Ireland. Um, I don't think I don't think I've ever actually chatted to you about Ballard, so give me your thoughts on him. Do you like him? Do you think he's uh, the future of the Northern Ireland defence, as Pete says? Um, and it's 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 one of those where 
he always seems to be like playing on completely on the edge. It seems like it could go wrong by an inch or by a second, but while it goes right, he's great to watch, and I, I, I'm really excited about him personally. Yeah, I think the first thing is you're you're not an Arsenal, and you're and you're not an Arsenal's academy if you're not a very very good footballer. You know, I think that goes without saying. Um, it's so difficult to judge a centre half at that age. It really is. You know, it's all it's like it's a it's a step it's a small step up from a goalkeeper at that age. Um, midfielders, forward players, I think you can look at them at at nineteen twenty, and you can kind of think. Pretty sure I know what sort of player that 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 lad's going to be, but centre half, it's just impossible. It's impossible to tell. There's a, a lot more pressure in that position. I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think League One is a good place to go and go and learn his trade. I think under Neil Critchley there, who, for anybody who doesn't know, was was managing Liverpool's under 23s. I think he's used to dealing with that age group, um, communicating with them. Um, been able to get them to buy into different bits and pieces and, and almost potentially mentoring them as well. So that can only be a positive form. And that's probably played into played into the reason why that's potentially the place that he's gone. And that's potentially the reason that Arsenal signed off that he, he went to Blackpool as opposed to somewhere else. Because we've seen loan deeds for young players in the past. They're sent down there and they're getting, you know, 10 minutes at the end of games and all of a sudden the guy just decides that, you know... It, it, this is a league for men. This is a league for, you know, journeymen who know the crack, who have been there, done that, they're hardened, they're weather beaten, and they can come in and I can rely on them to do a job. Whereas Critchy might have a, a fair, a, a very different out, uh, outlook than that. So, yeah, I think, as Pete says, and uh, as I've said, get the, get the lad playing minutes, get the lad developing his game. And I think particularly... In that area of the pitch, that is the one area of the pitch where you need minutes. You need games, you need experience playing against a variety of different centre forwards, against a variety of different um, styles of play. You need big lads elbowing you in the face and standing on your toes. You need to be able to head balls out of the box. You need to be able to um, prevent the ball going in behind. You need to be able to step in and be front foot and aggressive depending on who you're playing. So, you know, the more minutes he gets and the more games he plays, you know, hopefully he should be able to develop his game and become an all-round centre-half. But like you said, he's got years ahead of him. I think now the important part is he stays fit, he gets minutes, and he develops under a coach that, you know, is well-versed in, in coaching boys at that age. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's uh, he's managed more FA Cup games for Liverpool than Jurgen Klopp has, to be honest. Um, so yeah, he, uh, yeah, I think I think Critchley is a is a really good manager. Of course, it's not actually that common. You go from under twenty threes, even at a, a massive academy like Liverpool, uh, and go and get a job in League One. You know, so there's something that they've seen in Neil Critchley. Uh, down there, and and Critchley absolutely loves him as well. I don't know if you guys have seen any interviews, but he's you know he, he talks about Ballard as he's a leader. He's one of the best defenders in League One, and hopefully, if he can get a run of games together and Blackpool continue to do well, and he can maybe get a move to the Championship next season. And of course, that's a different that's a different ball game for him uh, up there. And um, you know, there is a massive, massive step up from League One to Championship, uh, bigger than probably what there is in the, the like one step up in any other um, part of the pyramid. I think League One the Championship, it's like the it's it's the it's such a step up, really. Um, yeah, and it's huge, and I think that the money kind of determines that. Um, it, the, the, 
Blackpool are another team that are go- that are going reasonably well. You know, the majority of the guys that we're talking about, they have either gone to or are playing in sides that are performing at the top end of the division. So, you know, there is an outside chance that he could make that jump with Blackpool, whether yeah. it be this season or next season. Whether he's on, whether they are able to secure a, a permanent deal, I don't know. Um, but I think that would probably probably be what's best for him. I think the last thing you want at this point is for him to be farmed out six months here, six months there, six months somewhere else. That's yeah. no good for anybody, particularly someone who plays in that position of the pitch. Yeah, no, 100%. I think he's made you know one or two mistakes for Blackpool as well, which is what you want. You don't want these guys going out for a year on loan and just absolutely strolling it because what's the point then? They're already good enough for that level. You know, he needs to learn and, and that's exactly what he's doing and they seem to rate him down there. I mean, the only real problem is because he is kind of, well, he has been injured so much and he's at an age where we don't really know if that's going to be a recurring theme throughout his career or that's just a bit of bad luck for, for six to 12 months. Um. But the problem is then if you're out for four four games, no matter how good you are, you know, if the team's playing well and the team's keeping clean sheets, then you're gonna struggle to get back in the side. Um, you know, because the, the old adage of, of don't change a win inside. And uh and for, for 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 Ballard, that's that's my only real worry for him in terms of getting the minutes. But as I say, if I could if I if a ferry came down and granted me one wish, um I would say oh, Northern Ireland related, obviously, because otherwise this would be very sad, but I would say Daniel Ballard get him playing for six months straight, get him playing week in, week out, get him making mistakes, um, because that's exactly what he needs at this time of his career. Pete, last uh, last player we're going to talk about is Kyle Lafferty. Um, I feel like this could be an interesting one. Um, so Kyle Lafferty, for people who don't know, was out on loan, or, oh, it wasn't on loan, sorry, he signed for Regina, I think that's the right pronunciation, in Serie B. Um, so he was playing down there with actually the likes of Jeremy Menez and Germán Denise, all these uh, football manager legends from throughout the years. Um, and he's uh, he's actually terminated his contract there. Um, so goodness knows what's gone on this time. And I don't want to you know speculate because there are you know let's be honest, people at times in different workplaces in life don't get along. It happens. Um, you know what I mean? People fall out. People move on. But with Kyle Lafferty, when it, when it happens at three, four, five, six clubs, you start to think maybe he's the common denominator. Um, and I'm looking at it, and he's 33 years old. When he was at Sarpsborg in Norway, uh, Michael O'Neill actually didn't select him for a squad. Uh, he did call him in eventually because I think somebody got injured. But it just goes to show like he's not immune. He can't just he can't just do what he wants and get in the Northern Ireland squad. Michael O'Neill showed him that you know you have to you have to be playing at a decent level and. Uh, Goodness knows where his next move is. I mean, when people are listening to this, they might know, but it's the 4th of February and I haven't even seen any rumours about it. Um, and I worry, not worry, but it's, it's, it's with a tinge of sadness that you say it, 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 could be the, it could be either the beginning of the end for his international career or it could be the end of his international career. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to speculate about what happened in Italy. Um, and I hope for his sake that he does find a club that suits him and his family and whatever. Um, but I think if you're in Barra club shoes and he's not at a club, I would find it very difficult to include him in the next international squad. Um, I mean, the reasons being, he's a striker. He's in there to try and score goals. He hasn't got a goal in four years. Um, so what is what's your other reason for including him? Working hard, trying to be a nuisance. Well, there's you know there's. A few other guys who are actually scoring goals, albeit in League One, but would it not be worth giving them a shot? That would be my 
argument. Surely, I mean, they can work hard as well. I'm sure if they fit the system, and they might have a bit of a bit more end product than what Cal's provided. Certainly in the last four years. I mean, but that's not the takeaway of what he's done for us before. Um, but I think Barraclough's got a decision in these next upcoming qualifiers. Does he give someone who's a bit younger the time to integrate into the squad? Because I mean, when you look at this group. You know, we're very outside, <laughs> big outside chance of qualifying. It's, an, it's a chance to sort of experiment, in my view. Um, so does he go for someone younger or does he stick with tried and tested Kyle Lafferty? Um, because he knows exactly what he's going to get from him. And it's probably not going to include a lot of goals or a lot of end product. Um, so my opinion, I probably wouldn't include him in the squad. And if I was to, it would probably be only bringing him on or with the intent of bringing him on the last few minutes of games. Um, I think it's worth giving someone a bit younger an opportunity. Um, but that's Barclough's decision to make. Yeah, and and Dave, last time we 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 chatted about Kyle Lafferty. Some people got a, uh, well, one person kind of took a bit of a huff at us and said we're a bit disrespectful. And listen. We're talking about Northern Ireland right now. Um, we'll talk about Kyle Lafferty's career and when he fired his Euro 2016. We'll do that when he retires. But right now um, is what we're concerned about. And you know, for the last five years, he's been six months at six, six months at Rizespor in Turkey, six months at Norwich, Birmingham on loan, Norwich Hearts for a year. We actually did really well. That's uh, that's really his only strong club season in the last five or six years then at rangers for a year then in norway then back to sunderland then to regina it's uh it's a difficult one because naturally you'd look at that and you think you know he's not playing football he's not really having that much of an effect at international level in the sense that he hasn't scored as pete says since november 2016 but the other side of that is if you look at the last the last kind of three international windows from september to november we throw him on against romania he wins a header um, in the box, while we've got ten men, and forces that you know forces that gap and white goal, he comes on in the playoff final in uh, again in Belfast against Slovakia and does pretty well. Throws himself about, causes them some problems, and you well, know he hits the was, post, doesn't he? Yeah, he, I, I was about to say he's about an inch away from from firing us to another European Championships, but. That's, I mean, it's uh, it's a difficult one because he, he can still have impact off the bench. And, you know, I always say this, international football, it's not like a meritocracy process. It's not like your, um, it's not your wee reward for having a couple of good seasons at club level. It's it's who can have the greatest impact for us because Northern Ireland need to win games. Northern Ireland need to be challenging for qualifying for, for, for major tournaments. And uh, But I'm looking at, at, for example, Dion Charles, 12 goals in League One. Um, and he's absolutely on fire. He's only 25. Uh, he was playing at Southport in the sixth tier uh, only two years ago. So, you know, I'm not saying like Jamie Vardy, but he certainly, I think people have have this idea in their heads that the players have to like break through at 17, 18 and you really burst onto the scene. And that's the only way they can be an exciting player for the future. But he's somebody that Ian Barclough will definitely keep his eye on. Um, if you're picking a squad tomorrow, would Kyle Lafferty be in it? It's a really difficult one. You know, I think you make loads of good points about that. There potentially is a use defined for him in a squad. It's almost the Peter Crouch effect where he is a nuisance. And if you, if you need a goal in the last 10 minutes, who are you throwing on? And realistically, if you need a goal in the last 10 minutes, you probably deep down, you want to look to the bench and see Kyle Lafferty sitting there and getting up and taking his warm up top off. Um, 
because that's where we are. It, it's it's sad. It's sad for him. His career just kind of seems to be petering out these last few years. Um, he hasn't been able to kneel down a regular spot really anywhere he's gone. Um, he's getting to that age now where a lot of his game was that. You know what was great about Lafferty for us was that not only is he big and strong and tall and good in the air, but he had genuine pace. You know, he was genuinely able to run in behind and, and work the channels and, and stretch defences for, for a big lad. And that was why he was so critical to us. But you can't get 90 minutes out of him. He's not playing any football. Um, and the other thing is, you know, Barraclough, I presume, was brought in and... We talked previously about the, the guys that we've lost that have retired and are getting to a certain age, but you've got to think that this, the national setup and the IFA have in mind that there has to be some sort of transition starting to happen here, away from away from the Johnny Evans and the Steve Davises, and, and that includes the Kyle Lafferty's, because you know we can't just flog them until they're done until they decide to, until they decide to hang the boots up you know all it takes is for one of them to do an Oliver Nor- Oliver Norwood and just go do you know what lads that's not for me anymore and then where do you find yourself you do need to start the plan for the future and I think given the ages of certain players we've got players at 24 25 26 that potentially could carve out a career in the national team um and you really do want to start to integrate them now if you want to see some sort of plan moving into the future. Otherwise, it's just the guys that are fit and the guys that are playing and the guys that you trust until all of a sudden you're pulling out big, massive, major players in that side and trying to plug that hole with essentially probably square pegs. So if it was me, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd probably have him in the squad for the purpose of he's been there, he's done that, he knows the crack. I think there's a lot to be said for a player in a squad that, and I'm sure Lafferty seems mental. I'm sure he's brilliant to have around the squad when he's on form. I'm sure he brings a great positive mentality. I'm sure the lift the the attitude of, oh, yeah. of the squad while he's like there. If you're talking about somebody who. If you were ranking the players in the squad, you'd want to go for a pint with. You know, Kyle Lafferty's right up there. Yeah, and that makes a difference on the training pitch, especially especially when you're only there for, you know, maybe you know three, four days at a time. He might be the guy that helps integrate some of these new boys because he seems to be so, you know, carefree and boisterous and outspoken. So you might even have him in there just for that. But ultimately, you know, Lafferty, Lafferty's career will, will be done in six months to a year I would say internationally and at club level but um, it, it, it was mentioned the word disrespectful was mentioned I know by, by people but listen Lafferty's name's carved into the national team's folklore and that's that's his legacy and his legacy won't be changed no matter what happens from now on so I think looking back on Kyle Lafferty regardless of the player that he is now I think everybody will always think fondly of him yeah, hundred percent. It's a bit like uh, Claudio Ranieri at Leicester. No matter how much he's failed in other jobs and how he nearly took them down, he, there, he's always going to be remembered as a legend. Um, yeah, and the I'm, other I'm thing with Lafferty so. there, the other thing with Lafferty there is, you know, David Healy 
Keenan Healy was never playing regular football. And then he showed up for, for Northern Ireland and all of a sudden he was just some sort of superstar. And he mm-hmm. almost got moves based on his international form and his international record. Um, so, you know, I think it would be it would be remiss of us just to write him off because, like I say, I think there I think there's a place for him there, and maybe he's one of those players that can actually help with that transition and make it a bit smoother and a bit more seamless than it might be. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with anything either. If you said on Lafferty there, um. All right, let's try and break this up a bit. Let's go to a quiz now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the format. I'm going to give you the topic. And then we're going to give you a little bit of time to think about it because I'm going to rattle through um, some of the, all the other Northern Irish transfers that we, you know, either we haven't had the time to talk about uh, or that we that we don't really know enough about, about the players or how they're doing at club level or the clubs they've gone to. Um, so uh, here is the quiz. So what we're going to do, it's going to be kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like a question and answer thing in the sense that I'm going to give you a topic. There's going to be a certain amount of either players, teams, whatever, that fit into this topic. And what you're going to do is just take turns in naming them until either one of you is wrong uh, or one of you can't think of one, basically. Okay? So uh, here's the topic. It's players who have made their Northern Ireland competitive debuts since Euro 2016. All right? So players who have made their Northern Ireland competitive debuts since Euro 2016, so it has to be competitive. It uh, So since Euro 2016, that doesn't include Euro 2016 itself. So, for example, Connor Washington wouldn't count because he makes his, his, his debut against Poland at Euro 2016. Um, off the bench, used off the bench is fine. If there have been unused substitutes in competitive games, then they won't count. Um, and players who have made their debuts in friendlies before Euro 2016 but didn't make their competitive debuts until after Euro 2016, they will count. Uh, anyone, any questions of that? Or is that well explained enough? Nope, that's grand. It's the answers I'm worrying about. Yeah, you got me sweating here. <laughs> All right, well, well, okay. well no Googling. Um, if, you, if you just want to take a pen and paper, if you're listening at home, uh, if you want to pause the podcast and, and have a think about it, um, that also counts as two lessons for us, but we'll say nothing. Um, so yeah, I'll give you a bit of time to think about this. I'll rattle through. I'll just name uh, all the other transfers, and then I'll come back to you. And Dave, I'll let you go first when we're back. So um, Kieran Brown has been recalled uh, from Cardiff, uh, from Livingston. So they've, they've some problems at the back there. Mick McCarthy's a new manager, um, so he's gone back to there. So we, another player that we could have maybe talked about as potentially another championship player in the future. Carl Winchester, Forest Green to Sunderland. Uh, Kyle Vassell. Rotherham to Fleetwood on loan. Bradley Lyons, Blackburn under-23s to Morecambe on loan. Uh, Jake Dunwoody, Derry City to HIFK Helsinki. It's an interesting one. Uh, David Parkhouse, Sheffield United to Derry City. Uh, Amrit Bansal McNulty. That's uh, I don't know how we're going to fit his name into the champ, but uh, that'll be interesting. Has gone from Como in Serie C. He was on loan back to QPR. Uh, Ollie Weber, uh, who might actually be in the squad this summer um, because... McGovern and Carson are actually out for the season, so it's going to be Hazard, Peacock Farrell, and one other. Um, he's gone from Palace to Dover. I can't remember if I said that. Adam Thompson, Rotherham to uh, Leighton Orient. David Morgan, Southport to Accrington. Liam Hughes, Celtic under-23s to Liverpool under-23s. Could he be the first Northern Irish player um, to play for Liverpool uh, first team since 1954, I think it is? And the other one's Chris Conn-Clark, Burnley under-23s to Fleetwood. I don't know if I actually covered all of those youth players from the under-23s there, um, but that's a bit of a roundup of everything 
uh, that's happened in the January transfer market. And uh, like, apologies if you wanted to hear some chat about Winchester or Brown or whatever, uh, but we're already 43 minutes in and we've still quite a bit to get through. Um, so they were the ones that I, I decided um, were going to be the uh, the ones we talk about, the ones that we were able to talk about. Uh, so hopefully that has been informative for you. Um, okay, Dave, Northern Ireland players who have made their competitive debuts since Euro 2016. 16, there are 16 in total, by the way. Okay, um, Billy Peacock Farrell. Billy Peacock Farrell is right. He starts the 2-1 home defeat to Bosnia in the Nations League in September 2018. So I don't know if I said, but qualifiers or Nations League obviously count as well, but not friendlies. Uh, Pete? Uh, Jamal Lewis. Jamal Lewis starts the same game, the 2-1 defeat to Bosnia in September 2018. Correct. Dave? Um, Daniel Ballard? Daniel Ballard is correct. He starts the one-all draw in Romania in September 2020, Nations League. Pete? Uh, Ali McCann. Ali McCann's correct. Starting us Austria away in the Nations League, November 2020. Oh, good one. Um, Jordan Jones? Jordan Jones is correct. He actually, I didn't know this. He makes his debut in Switzerland in the playoff in the 0-0. comes on for 16 minutes. That's his first game for Northern Ireland at November 2017. Um Probably because I've wiped that game from my mind. But uh, yeah, Pete. Uh, Jordan Thompson. Thompson is correct. Makes his debut. Comes on for seven minutes in Holland in the 3 1 defeat in Rotterdam, October 2019. So you've got six of the 16, Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> six. <sighs> Don't worry, there are some mad ones. So like, it's not embarrassing if you don't, um, if you don't get many. Gavin White. Gavin White's correct. Comes on for 32 minutes in Bosnia in the 2-0 defeat in the Nations League, October 2018. Pete. Hmm. Now we're getting to the... Tom, Tom Flanagan. Tom Flanagan is correct. say that one. <laughs> Comes on for three minutes in Holland in the 3-1 defeat uh, in Rotterdam, October 2019. That's a great shout. And... Um, have a think if you're if you're getting stuck. Have it like think through um, the team right now and where they've where where they've uh, when they made their debuts as well. Because there there are some more obvious ones and there are some uh, less obvious ones. Uh, Dave, that's eight we've got now, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Uh, risk a risky one. It's Shane Lavery. Shane Lavery's correct. Oh, Great oh, shot. Good one. Oh, <laughs> Comes on for seven minutes against Germany in the two 0 defeat at home in the qualifiers September twenty nineteen. Pete. Right. Um, competitive debut. Competitive debut. So Nations League or qualifiers, and they kind of come off the bench, but not on new substitutes. Okay. Um, this could be where I stumble here. I'm going to say Trevor Carson. Trevor Carson is an unbelievable shout. He starts to he starts his first game in his thirties against Austria in the two one Nations League defeat. In November 2018. Dave, I don't know how you're going to come back from that. Oh, is Dave with us? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> did, did you hear um, shout? Yes, I did. I was on mute when I was just rambling away to myself, really struggling to come up with the next answer. <laughs> We've only got six um, more. I identified, I said sort of 10 would be like, I think 10 if you're, if you're playing along at home is a really, really good score for this one because there are some quite strange ones so uh yeah dave let's see if you can you can edge ahead 
Matty Lund. Matty Lund is correct. He's only played two minutes uh, of competitive football for Northern Ireland against Norway in the 2-0 win in March 2017. He to, was be the fair, the only, to be fair, the only reason his name came to mind is because you put him in the agenda at some point during the week. Right, okay. Well, there you go. Um, so that's 11 out of the 16. Um, Pete. Right. Struggling here. Um... Uh, so I'm trying to think if Liam Poyce played competitively before 2016 or is he just using friendlies um, see I've won like that too I'm not yeah, sure I'm not sure and then there's Cooper you know what I'm I'm going to go with Boyce here I think it's wrong to see the end Liam Boyce, it's it's unfortunate, Pete, but it is actually wrong. Um, he's played. He came off the bench in two competitive games before Euro twenty sixteen. Uh, he got one minute against Slovenia in the March twenty eleven nil nil, and he came on for twelve minutes against Greece the night we qualified for the Euros. Um, so, Dave, congratulations! Um, you're the inaugural <laughs> SO sixteen quiz champion. I don't know if we'll ever do it again, but well done, Dave. Thanks. If we don't do it again, that would be great. <laughs> uh, any, do you want, do you, any other shots you guys were considering? Uh, Cooper would have been wrong, Pete. He hasn't actually come on for us yet. Uh, Dave, yeah. who was the one you were thinking of? Um, I was thinking the travel play in, oh, in 2016. Yeah, Sa Sa Savile would have been correct. Um, oh, comes, nah. on, comes on against Germany, October 2017. He's been, he's been such a fixture recently, like over the last few years. I, I, I was really right. nervous about that one, so I kind of held it back. Oh, he wasn't yeah. He's actually he's actually second in the list, like second in terms of uh, second oldest one from 2016 um, to play. The other ones you missed, so you got 11 there. That's that's, that's really good. Um, I'll go most recent. Matty Kennedy starts the one all against Romania in the last game we played. Um, one you guys will be kicking yourself over. Ethan Galbraith comes on against Romania for 11 minutes. Oh, why have I scribbled them out? Yeah, I wasn't sure about that either. <laughs> he's, only got, he's only got one cap, doesn't he? So he I does, was, yeah. I was, normally, when you look at players that only have one cap, it doesn't usually come in a competitive game. No, it's a bit of a mad one, to be fair. Uh, the other two were Michael Smith is, is one you just think had played before. He actually <laughs> doesn't start a competitive game until the 2-1 home defeat to Austria in November oh, 2018. I know. Same as Trevor Carson. Yeah. Um, and the other one was Kyle Vassell, uh, if you remember, about two, three years ago. Um, he's, uh, he's been loaned out to Fleetwood, uh, if you were listening, Pete, while I was rambling on. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so Vassell. Quiz, mate. I should have been listening something. You're all right. Um, Vassell comes on for 13 minutes in Austria in the 1 0 defeat, October 2018. Um, yeah, good stuff. Well done, Dave. That was a good bit of crack there. Uh, and unlucky, Pete, with that voice shout. Um, so. Let me know, guys, listening at home, how you did. Tweet us, comment under it. Um, bit of a difficult one. And, uh, without using Google, let me know how you guys did there. So, um, yeah, thanks very much for playing along. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to go to an interview with uh, the Academy Review's David Pritt, who's going to tell us a little bit more about Ethan Galbraith. Um, and when we come back, we're going to chat Galbraith, McNair, World Cup qualifiers. I'm delighted now to be joined by David Pritt, founder of the Academy Review, Manchester United uh, Academy Twitter account and channel, uh, on to talk about Ethan Galbraith. Uh, David, thank you so much for coming on. 
Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so, first question, it's a bit of a general one. Um, now, there's obviously been a lot of hype about this kid uh, from Northern Ireland. He's probably like one of the most talented players, raw talent-wise, we've produced uh, in a number of years. So, we're all very excited, but um, bar maybe a couple of Northern Ireland under-21 games, or even if, if some of our listeners are Manchester United fans, a couple of uh, youth games uh, from Man United, we haven't seen really that much of him. So, can you like uh, describe what type of player he is to me, his, his strengths, his qualities, and uh, who would you compare him to? Yeah, oh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to watch quite a lot of his games. Um, I, I went to one of his trial games in 2017 when we played uh, um, St Andrews, Birmingham's ground. It's, it's, it's just, um, for me, an, ama- an amazing player. He's, and he's just growing and he's learning new things every year. I, I, he was always... I mean, not under the shadow, but he was always like the third player in a, in a midfield three with Garner and Levy, and he was the third one. And that's not to put a downer on him. I think, you know, he, he played well and he showed what he's capable of. But um, this season, especially now they've gone out on loan, he's been able to be there on his own and shine. And he just looks this amazing, amazing player. Some, sometimes, I mean, this season, especially in the back end of last season, some of his long, um, long ball passes have been tremendous and um I talked about this before when I, I did a video with on Petford Paddock where I got accused of call, yeah, comparing his saying he's better than Paul Scholes but <laughs> that, that's honestly, what I'm after that's a thumbnail <laughs> honestly some of the passing is Scholes-esque it's, it's unreal and um the last game I noticed he's um he's doing it with both feet now as well you know it's not it's not just short passes he's doing quite long passes with his with both feet and He's just controlling that midfield. He's at the moment. He looks like he's just taking a step back. He's not. He's not going forward as much. He's just like being the conductor. He's he's getting the ball, seeing where he needs to go. But I'm saying he's he's um he's, he's come back a bit. But when he is forward, you know yourself. Some of the shots he can pull off. He's 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 unreal. I've never seen someone hit a ball so sweet. You know consistently, and he scored some of the some of the best goals I've seen. Yeah, I think you've uh, just got his shirt behind you there from his, his goal against Doncaster, which is kind of, kind of like a well, sort of a first team game EFL trophy where some academy teams play League One, League Two. I think it is. Um, we've obviously we we've seen him in a couple of different positions for the Northern Ireland under twenty ones. Um, he's played quite a lot in the number six, just in front of the back four. Uh, obviously, he's not he's the furthest thing from your typical destroyer anchor of a midfielder, but his qualities in that position of coming you know coming deep, picking up the ball, and dictating play. Uh, from deep, uh, but we've also sort of seen him play in the in the number eight and and the ten as well. Uh, and I saw an interview with him recently, actually saying where you know he doesn't really care where he plays in the midfield; he's happy to play anywhere. Uh, for you, uh, having watched him kind of week in week out, what do you think his best position is? It's hard to say. I would have said like the eight eight slash ten at one point because he was just so good going forward and hitting the ball. And even if he was like at the edge of the box, just getting it out to the wingers, you know, he would then put it in for someone to score. But when he has when he has played the number six role, like you say, the anchor, I mean, I, I didn't like like him playing it because I thought oh, he's not going to be involved so much in the forward play. But he just looks amazing there. He looks, you know, he he is similar to in a way I could, comparing to like Michael Carrick when he was at United. You know, just calm and he's good on the ball. He's his passing's just unreal and yeah, he's, he, it's hard to say if you could. He, if you maybe play in thirds, he starts the game with a six, then he moves up to an eight, then a ten. I mean, it'd be perfect because he'd be able to do all three roles quite easily. 
No, good stuff. Versatility there, that's exactly what we want. Um, one thing that Northern Ireland fans have maybe been quite uh, concerned about uh, is the fact that he hasn't actually gone out alone yet. And I know he's only 19, um, but I think you mentioned some of the players there, the likes of Garner Levitt. I think Mengi went out on loan. It's, what was that yesterday, maybe? And and, uh, and other, other youth players as well. Um, what's the reason for, for Galbraith not having gone out on loan then? Because, you know, as I say, a lot of people think he needs quite he needs to get that experience and kind of play play against men, um, where he's where he's going to you know bulk up physically and and make his mark on the game. But I personally I do see the benefits of STEM in the academy, you know, the tactical play and learning a style of play and a culture. Um, but is it like what, for you? What's the reason he hasn't gone out unknown? Is it to do? Is it any sort of slight on his ability? Is it that he's just not ready yet? Uh, or is it just the fact that kind of Manchester United want to keep him about in case an injury crisis hits and they need to call upon him this season? I think that it's a mixture of both, really. The fact that we've sent we've sent you know quite a few players out on loan this this season, more than most usually. Um, I think Solskjaer's doing a good thing. The fact that he is sending them out on loan, but um, I don't think you can send everyone out on loan. And unfortunately, Ethan's been the one who's been kept back at United. Well, that could be a benefit. And also, like I say, is the fact that the other midfield's not there. He is the main midfielder now in that under-23 squad. Um, he is dictating the play. And if there is an injury crisis or something happens, he's there to pick up and he, he'll be the one getting in the first team. Um, like I say, I was there in Kazakhstan for his debut. I know a lot of other players made his, the debuts over there. But he is in Solskjaer's plans. I mean, not too long ago, he signed a three-year deal, which... Um, the fact that he's only played once for the first team and they started giving him a three-year deal means that you do highly regard him. And talked before about Kieran McKenna, the fact that he's in the uh, the uh, first team squad now and he knows all about Ethan. I think he was one of the main reasons Ethan came to United. It's, it's just it's looking good for him. I, I just if he stays injury-free and he just carries on the way he's doing, I don't I don't expect him to you know rise quickly in you know his ability. He just keeps plodding on the way he is. He's just going to be uh, an amazing player. Okay, and then uh, what kind of things um, have you seen from Galbraith that you think he needs to work on? I mean, he, he made his Northern Ireland debut in November there against Romania in the Nations League. Came on for 20, 25 minutes and, and did look a little bit nervous, I'm sure he'd say himself, uh, which is completely understandable. There was so much hype uh, around him. And I think even Stephen Cregan, the commentator at the time, said the young superstar, uh, which I felt was maybe a bit strong. You know, there's real, no real need to put that pressure on him at this age, even though kind of all the fans are doing so themselves. So, in that game, I sort of felt that um, maybe obviously the physicality naturally at his age and the fact that he hasn't had any first team football uh, is going to be a sticking point. And that will come. Uh, but I felt he was kind of, um, he'd pick up the ball and he, he'd want to get rid of it before any player got anywhere near him. Because, you know, playing up against these six foot Romanian Grocks, he knew rightly that, you know, he, he wasn't going to be able to, to stand it physically. Obviously that will come. But is there anything else uh, about his game that you think uh, he needs to improve on? Obviously he's a fantastic ball player. Um, but where, where do you where do you see his weak points and where he needs to improve? Well, you said there about him not getting involved. We played Chelsea before Christmas and we got absolutely battered. I mean, I chatted to him afterwards and he was not happy with it. And he is self-critical, which is a good thing. I've seen it in um, other players and the players who are self-critical usually go on to be the better players. But he was getting stuck in and, you know, and he was leaving it in sometimes just to, you know, that... Nasty, not nasty, but you know, he's just letting you know that he's there. And he wasn't, there was a player who came up to him and he, he, he went backing down. And 
I don't want to be too aggressive, but you know he's got he can he's got that in him where you know he's not going to be scared of anyone now. Um, he had a who did we play recently? Well, anyway, he had a late challenge and he moaning to the referee about it. You know, he, he was clearly a foul and he deserved a yellow card, but he was arguing you, you the case. You can take the boy out of Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I like that the fact that he's you know sticking up for himself and he's yeah I, I understand what you mean when he was played for Northern Ireland, but. You got to remember, playing for your country has got to be one of the highest honours. And no matter who you are and what country you're from, it could be from the, one of the smallest countries in the world. It could be from, you know, the Faroe Islands and play for your country. Still, it's the honour and the, the first time you do it, it must be so nerve wracking that you know that it's going to affect your game. I just think that um, I do think, especially for Northern Ireland, he is going to get a few more opportunities. And I think the more he plays, the more you'll see what. You know what kind of player is he? when he's got that confidence playing for you, he's going to be yeah he's going to be one of your top players eventually. Yeah, I think maybe this coming campaign might come a little bit too soon for him, uh, but definitely definitely one for the next two or three campaigns I'm sure uh, in in four or five years if he keeps going on the trajectory that he is uh, that he that he'll, he'll rise to be a, a a consistent member of that team. Uh, final question, David. It's a bit of a ridiculous one I know, and it's it's very loaded, uh, but it is the one that people want. Will be wanting me to, to ask you, somebody who, who watches the academy week in week out. Um, given how he's going uh, and kind of comparing him to other uh, youth prospects at Manchester United, uh, how do you rate his chances of becoming a, a regular Manchester United first team player someday? It's, it's hard at the moment because I do think he's capable of being being in our midfield. But the fact that if you look at United's midfield at the moment, it's I mean. Donny van der Beek can't get in the team. We sat with our latest sign and he's looked, on the bench looking upset constantly. We've brought Bruno, Bruno Fernandes in who's not going to miss the game. Hogba, we don't know what's going to happen to him, but if he sticks around, he's not going to miss the game. So it's, it's very difficult and that, that then lies the problem. It all depends on what's going to happen you know, around the team. If, if the base turns up, I think um, yeah, he'll be able to get in there, but he's just got to bide his time because you know, not everyone's always going to be there. And I, I don't know, maybe next season it'd be his opportunity to go out on, on loan you know, he, and show himself maybe in a championship or a, a League One club. Because for me, it doesn't matter for me what level it is. It's about the the physical side, I think, going out on loan. And that's what the main main issue is. I've seen people, when we've sent players out on loan, we got a lad at, at um, Salford City in League Two and people are moaning, well, if he's at League Two, he's never going to make it. You know, it's not about that. It's about the physical side playing against men. And yeah, if if he goes out on loan next season, I think that'll just um, up his game completely. And maybe maybe he'll be involved after that in the preseason, be more regular. Because that's that's one of the main issues I think with with our academy this year was we didn't really have a preseason. These this is a time when them players will be playing games, and they didn't get that at all because of COVID and. It's, it's been unfortunate for them, but yeah, he's just got a bad time. They've obviously highly rated him because of, like I say, the, the contract they give him. So you just, you've just got hope and I hope that he's patient enough that he, he knows that he's going to get his opportunity. Yeah, I think uh, maybe in the one preseason game he did have, maybe he came on for a half against Aston Villa in the, before the season started. So it, yeah. it is good that he's getting minutes. But uh, listen, David, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, anytime. Massive thanks to Dave Pritt for his time there. Um, Dave, where do you stand in this whole thing? I've seen loads of people on on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, kind of saying that uh, Ethan Galbraith, you know, he has to go out and loan, he has to learn, he has to become a man, he has, you know, 
become more physical as well. But there is kind of like a, there is a benefit to staying in an academy for a bit, especially the fact he's only 19. You learn tactics, you learn a style of play, you learn a culture. Um, where do you stand on it? Do you think this was just a little bit too early for him to go out on loan? Uh, or do you think that would have really benefited him? Um, I think he needs to go and get football next year, certainly. Um, I'm not sure how much benefit he would have got in this window. It's six months. I think, again, like I, like I mentioned earlier on, it's it's difficult dropping a 19-year-old into the lower leagues and saying, go out and be able to play 20 games between now and the end of the season or even 10 games between now and the end of the season because he's not he's not fully grown yet. And it sounds like such a remedial argument, but ultimately, you know, League League One and League Two football is different. Um, if it was a championship side, you know, someone who likes to get it down and likes to play a little bit, but is he at that level yet? I don't know, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think at some point he needs to, he needs to get out of there because he's not getting into the United midfield anytime soon. It's just not happening. Um, Donny van der Beek can't get into the United midfield, so I'm not sure what chance he stands. So I think, you know, he is, he's, he's coming up on 20, isn't he? Yeah, he's 19 for now anyway. Yeah, so, you know, come the summer, I'm pretty sure he'll be 20. And I, I would like to see next year that maybe drops into a championship side who like to get it down and play a little bit. Um, maybe the likes of a, I don't know, a Swansea maybe. I don't know, someone someone like that. But I think it's at the stage of his career now where I think it's well it's well documented that youth football, that youth league, that Premier League two or whatever it's called, it's not that good. You know, the standard isn't very high. You really want it to be an under-19 league, but it's not. So you've got players that aren't that great, that are 24, maybe 23, that are you know, they're literally just seeing out their contract at, at whatever club it might be, whether it's Aston Villa or Brighton or, or whoever it might be. I think a lot of clubs, not saying Manchester United, but they don't necessarily invest a great deal in their academy. Um, and if it is their academy, it is kind of that 18 to 19, 17, 18, 16, 17, 18, 19 kind of bracket. So you don't know what you're coming up against every week. Um so yeah, I think I think he needs to go. He needs to get coached properly. He needs to learn how to play proper proper football, and he needs to be in a side who are going to get hassled and isn't going to have time on the ball, and not playing in a team. And I'm talking like purely for from a Northern Ireland perspective, not playing in a Manchester United under twenty three team that are going to boss most games and win. You know, six three against Liverpool's under twenty threes, for instance, like they did the other week. Um, it needs to go down there and scrap it and learn what it's like to actually have no time at all on the ball. So, from from the national team's perspective, that's what I would like to see. But it has to happen sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you just fade into obscurity. And then on the few occasions he has had first team football, maybe a friendly here or there for United, or as I say, coming yeah, on against ten, Romania. Yeah, or ten minutes at the end of a, a Europa League tie or something like that yeah a dead rubber and that's no good 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, and Pete, uh, I'm going to move this on quite quickly just because we're a bit pushed for time here. Um, but one thing I want to talk about, and feel free to give your uh, opinion on, on Galbraith first, but the, the next thing I want to talk about is an interesting quote from Neil Warnock uh, this season now. How much you want to? How much attention you want to pay to Neil Warnock is uh, completely, you know, your own prerogative. I personally uh, wouldn't hang my hat on it, but there's no doubt that for that level, for upper tier championship teams, and you know, he, he is effective at that level. Um, and he said, the Paddy McNair, he kind of wants to play centre mid, um, but he says McNair is he's a world class centre half, uh, but an average central midfielder. Uh, so he's been playing that centre half pretty much for about a year. And uh, and doing really well for them. We're keeping a lot of clean sheets. We know Warnock likes to keep the defense tight and doesn't like to concede goals. And that's the way he that's the way he manages sides. That's the way he always has managed sides. And uh, do you think that's that that will have an impact on the future? Um, you know, especially if we talk about potentially playing three at the back in certain games. If you've got a, a, a three of of McNair, Evans, and Cathcart or Ballard, you know, going away to Italy, and we will do a preview for the Italy podcast, obviously. Um, but you know, that's a that's a pretty tough three to get past. You've got quality on the ball uh, you've got out and out defenders there um so can, do you see McNair's future uh, at international level potentially being at center half um I'll just touch on Galbraith briefly I think I'd second pretty much everything Dave said but I think it's crucial for him that he, if he goes on and loan finds the right club and a manager who will commit to giving him game time because there's no point in him going to league one not being able to cope with the physicality say in the first couple of matches and then the manager just exiling him and saying we don't want you anymore so there's no point in that so I think the right club's crucial in terms of the McNair debate um, you know it's a great option to have if he's as good as Warnock says is <laughs> centre half that's very encouraging um, but I suppose you have to weigh up what are the benefits do we get more of a benefit playing him in defence when we'd lack him in midfield because I think you know he'd probably be one of our most effective centre mids, certainly our most dynamic in terms of the, the work that he gets or he does around the pitch. Um, so it might be a case of it depends on the game, like you touched on, we're playing Italy away and we're going to get bombarded. Um, it might be a case of getting our best centre backs uh, on the pitch and playing at centre half uh, when you anticipate we'll be doing a lot of defending whereas I think against the likes of Bulgaria and Lithuania you'd probably play him further up the pitch where he'd be more effective so it's something you'd have to weigh up I reckon depending on the game yeah yeah that's completely fair uh Dave sorry I'm not actually uh, gonna go to you on McNair because I want the main part of this uh main part of this part of the podcast um to to be on the World Cup qualifying fixtures in the group um so we're just well over the hour now, so I, I wish I could have had a bit more of a debate, but so be it. Um, World Cup qualifying, me and Pete did a reaction draw, uh, a reaction draw, a, uh, a reaction podcast after the draw. Um, I don't think I've had your thoughts on it yet. So Italy, it's like, you know, a pot one team, you expect a European giant. It's maybe maybe not even the worst we could have drawn. But then Switzerland's the, the tricky one, especially because you only have to finish second and then you're in the playoff. So it's not even like if you if you miraculously pull something off in this group, you're in any way likely to qualify. Uh, Bulgaria and Lithuania as well, um, which are teams you'd expect to beat home and away if you want any chance. Um, are you confident going into it or do you sort of think let the young lads have this one, use this as time for them to develop, get international minutes in their legs, uh, and we'll have a look at Euro 2024 when we're in League C, uh, which provides a bit 
easier pathway to qualify? Or do you think, you know, Dallas playing well, Evans playing well, Davis, we've still got players at the top of their game here and we can give this a go? Yeah, I think it's not the worst. It's not Germany for a change, which is nice. Um, Italy, very, very frustrated that it's the first game and it's away because that would have been a great one to go to. Um, so I think what, what I think what we really need to do is do what we can to get our six points from four games against Bulgaria and Lithuania and try and turn it into some sort of two-legged playoff against Switzerland and see if we can get something from there and hope maybe that they slip up somewhere. That's kind of the pathway to a playoff that I'm looking at. Um, yeah, there's there's quality in that Switzerland side. There's loads of quality in that Italy side. They are a team on the rise with lots of young, good players coming through. And it looks as though, you know, possibly the tournament after after the World Cup Euros and maybe the World Cup after that, they'll be serious, serious contenders. But again, they're young. They're, they're naive. You just don't know. Um, but I have, don't think we've lost in about two years. I don't. I think we've probably conceded two or three goals in the last two years. So yeah, I think try and get your results against. I think obviously your home games are going to be brilliant if you can if you can pick up points at home against the big boys. Great, but you need to get you need to get twelve points in those four games. I think otherwise, you know, it's it's game over. That's what we've done well. That's what our last few qualifying campaigns have been based on. That's been the platform for success. There, scrappy wins away to Azerbaijan and Greece and things like that. Um, so that's got to be the focus and then it's a rule of the dice after that yeah my theory on it is that we we did a deal with the devil in 2016 to get Greece as our top seeds um, and we're paying for it ever since with these draws <laughs> you look at and you know what if we did I'm okay with that <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um, Pete let's have a chat about the fixtures where we start away to Italy we finish at home to Italy um, that's difficult to say the least i don't know I, I don't think i don't know if there's really an ideal time to to play those games i mean potentially at at home you know if you're two points behind them going into that game maybe that's wishful thinking but full windsor park by that point you'd hope you just never know um but i'm looking at this next international break and as i say we're obviously going to do loads of podcasts in march around these games because we've got italy we've got a friendly against what well, hasn't actually been confirmed yet uh, because the september friendly is estonia away um, but it'll actually have to be a, a non-European opponent for that one in March. So hopefully they're happy to come to Windsor Park because they don't fancy going halfway around the world before playing Bulgaria. And Bulgaria at home in the first international break is a massive one. Uh, that's the one where <clears throat> that could potentially, if we don't win that, you know, Barakov really is on a hiding to nothing. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge contrast in terms of what both games mean. I think we're away to Italy first, aren't we? Is it meant to be in Parma? Yeah, Parma. Yeah, so I look, I'm looking at that game and it's like it's a free hit. You know, that is the nailed-on game where I don't expect any points. So if we could pull off some miracle, uh, even a nil-nil win, <laughs> uh, that would be such a good way to score uh, a fun campaign. And then the Bulgaria game, complete contrast, is a must-win. Um, like you said, I don't think... If we lose that, we can almost pack up and go home because I don't. I don't think we'd have any chance of qualifying if we lose to Bulgaria at home. Um, 
And it'll be interesting to see what teams he or Barraclough decide to play. Does he rest everyone against Italy and risk a hammering? Or does he play a strong side that could potentially be a bit fatigued, having to chase the ball around in Parma? Uh, and subsequently don't play as well against Bulgaria. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, but the important one is the Bulgaria game. Yeah, uh, Parma famously a, a tricky place to go. Um, Dave, one of the big things about this, uh, I think Barclough mentioned it in uh, in his reaction to the draw, uh, was because this is such a mad congested season, and especially uh, I can't remember if you said it in the pre-pod or on the on the podcast, uh, but we've got a lot of players playing Championship League One, where you're playing forty six games, so it's already madly congested for the Premier League. Uh, but you add in, I mean, you look at it Tuesday, Wednesday night, Championship and League One, they're playing every single midweek uh, and there are postponements left, right and centre as well. So by that point, they're going to be trying to catch up. They might even be playing two games a week. Um, and that's going to that's gonna, that's gonna harm us, I feel. Um, I know obviously Italy have a lot of players playing in Europe, uh, so they're kind of playing regularly as well. But uh, for somebody like a Bulgaria, um, who's... Whose, whose team is mainly made up from players from the local league, uh, who, who will probably be fitter and fresher than us by that point. Um, but a big thing that came out with the World Cup qualifying fixtures um, was that there are no triple headers. Um, so I think we're the only team in the group that doesn't have a triple header in March or September. Um, and on top of that, our two games are at, at each end of the of the week. So at least Thursday, Bulgaria's Wednesday. In September, Lithuania's Thursday, Switzerland's Wednesday. Um, so we'll have to play a friendly in between. But as much as the draw hasn't been kind to us in terms of the teams we've put out, uh, the teams we've drawn, uh, it's been quite kind to us in terms of the fixtures in that regard, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been. I think the more time they can get on the training pitch and you know those friendly games in between might be absolutely crucial to try and develop an uh a genuine game scenario where you can go and try and implement those tactics before the next game, iron out the kinks, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I think on your on your point on on players playing games, I think you're kind of stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea here because it's it's really one or the other. It's really players playing lots of games or guys who aren't playing football at all. And I think if I had to choose, I'll have the boys who are playing games. Um, because although they might be tired and although there might be lots of minutes in their legs, um, I think one thing that one thing that also needs to be considered is these guys, you know, in training and at the level they're playing, it's not as intense as those guys that play at the top top level. When you're talking to at least and and potentially some of some of the, the boys in at the Swiss, in the Switzerland national side. So yeah, they might be playing less games, but. The intensity they're playing that is far more demanding than, than down in League One and, and the championship potentially. So like I say, it's you're in a rock and a hard place, but I'll take the I'll take the boys who are maybe a bit a bit fatigued, but playing football regularly because at least they have their match sharpness and at least they at least they have some sort of vague recollection of what it's like to get the ball in front of the net and where to put it. Yeah, uh, Dave. Just quickly, a uh, point I I meant to pick up on in your first uh, in your first part of this as well, when you kind of said about Switzerland being a good side uh, and creating that kind of two leg playoff against Switzerland, like we did with Holland last year. Is there a bit of a worry for you? And Pete mentioned this on the reaction draw to the podcast uh, reaction podcast to the draw. I've done that twice. Um, <laughs> is uh, is there a worry for you that Switzerland might actually take points off Italy, making it even more difficult? We might even have to then take four or even six points for Switzerland to get into that second place. Because Switzerland, 
as you say, are a good side. They're, you see them at the World Cups and they always seem to get a result here and there. Never really do anything, but they get the round 16 of the Euros World Cup. Is there a worry that Italy and Switzerland can kind of take points off each other and, and we're looking at it like having to win three of the four games against them or something ridiculous? Yeah, there is that worry. I think that, you know, they've, they've taken points off Germany and they've taken points off Spain recently. Um, and at least one of those games, they were down to 10 men for a period of time, maybe even both of them. So, yeah, there's, there's loads of quality in that side, you know. Um, Shakiri, the, the left-back Rodriguez, I think, is still there. Um, there's players, as I say, playing at the highest level. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an absolute concern. Um, and I think we all looked at kind of the, the Germany-Holland results um, the last time. We were in a qualifying scenario for the Euros and and we're glued to them to see how that may or may not benefit us. And I think it's going to be the same this time round. But listen, that's something that's out of our control. I think all we can do is hope for, hope for a scenario where we're still in the contest come to the last two or three games of, of the qualifying round. Because let's be honest, it's not often we, we qualify for international tournaments and um, we've been absolutely spoiled beyond any kind of expectation over these last, you know, probably, you know, seven years or so. So if we're in a scenario where we go into the third game from third last game and we've still a chance of qualifying, I don't think you can be disappointed with that outlook, that outcome. Yeah. Okay. Last question to you both. Uh, Pete, come to you first. Um, Italy away, Bulgaria home, Lithuania away, Switzerland home, before a away doubleheader at Switzerland and Bulgaria. Um, if I offer you seven points, if I say lose to Italy, beat Bulgaria, beat Lithuania, and beat Switzerland at home at the end of September, or sorry, not beat Switzerland at home, you definitely take that, draw with Switzerland at home. So those seven points, uh, would you shake hands on that right now? 100%. <laughs> 100%. You've got to take that. Any points against... Um, Italy or Switzerland would be huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that home game, that, that kind of creates that, that playoff scenario in Switzerland. And the lower scoring the draw at home, uh, I suppose, the better, because it does come down to head-to-head, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, 100%. And Dave, uh, how do you plan to tell the wife that Christmas 2022 is cancelled because you're going to be blattered in Doha? <laughs> you're assuming that I plan to tell her. <laughs> I might just disappear one day. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> France was a difficult sale for, for thirteen days. Um, I'm with a stop off in Amsterdam on the way, which you know was all made it all the more difficult. So, I suppose there'll there'll be some sort of penance to pay, and I'll be willing to pay it. <laughs> excellent excellent good stuff well cheers for coming on lads thanks for doing that um hope you guys enjoyed listening at home uh, just one thing i want to say uh, before i go uh, if anyone's listening on apple podcasts or um itunes the, you know, the podcast app for uh, for apple people uh, give us a review on that if you enjoy these podcasts um i'm still very new to this uh, and i was told recently that reviews and ratings and all help you get noticed and help our name come up whatever some sort of analytics that i don't understand so if you can take the time it only takes about 10 seconds 
give us a review uh, if you like it. If you don't, just crack on with your day, please. Um, don't give us an, a negative one. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, thanks, Dave, for coming on. Thanks, Pete, for coming on. We will be back in March for the World Cup qualifiers. Um, we're going to be doing a preview lately. We'll do a reaction to that game. We'll do a preview and reaction to Bulgaria. Um, we'll maybe do the, the Bulgaria preview uh, after the friendly game, so we can talk about that as well. But uh, that's a long way away, so we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But thanks very much for all your, all your support over the years. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. I uh, hope you tune in in March as well. If you've been listening from the start, thank you so much. Um, and take it easy. Uh, bye-bye.